Welcome to another edition of Mormon Land. I'm managing editor Dave Noyce, and I oversee our faith coverage. I'm joined again by senior religion reporter Peggy Fletcher Stack. Hello, Peggy. Hi, Dave. General Conference for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was, for the third straight time, all virtual due to the pandemic. That didn't stop it from being timely and topical. Those who tuned in heard an emphasis on Christ and the resurrection, especially on Easter Sunday. They heard about the faith's international footprint, repeated recognitions that most of the 16.6 million members are single, condemnations of cyberbullying and racist attacks, and an extensive exploration of the Constitution and the bounds of partisan politics. And only two women spoke. Here to discuss via Zoom the meeting's highlights, lowlights, and memorable moments is Religion News Service columnist Jana Reese, author of The Next Mormons, How Millennials Are Changing the LDS Church. Jana, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's good to see you. So let's start with what were your favorite moments uh, from the conference? Oh, choirs from around the world. Oh, my gosh. The Korean choir, right? The- oh, my gosh, those children. Yes, we should do that every conference. And having speakers just speak from their home countries was wonderful. I thought that was great. There's no reason we can't do that in the future, even in post-pandemic times. Yeah. And, and what about some speeches that stood out to you? Okay. We'll, we'll talk about them a little bit in more detail, but just uh, maybe we'll just off the top some speeches. Well, I think some of the ones that have been most controversial probably will cover, but uh, Dellen Oaks's talk about the Constitution, which was interesting. To me, the session that stood out the most was Sunday morning, which was with such a strong international focus that was, to me, very special. I thought it was beautifully done. I would love to see more of that in the future. Mm-hmm. It was a stark contrast, by the way, shifting from that very sharp international focus to the afternoon session where the first speech is, let's talk about the U.S. Constitution. So, yeah, yeah that, that was quite a shift. Yeah. So, so you'd like to see those choirs and things from around the world continue, right? And there's no reason that can't, correct? Exactly. And I think that it demonstrates the global nature of the church. It also puts the focus on Latter-day Saints as people uh, that members of the church rather than only on the leaders. We are a church that is 16 and a half million strong, and it would be great to see more of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's let's ch- turn to, uh, to some statistics. Uh, given the missionary pullback during the pandemic, I guess it wasn't surprising. It wasn't surprising that convert baptisms, you know, fell by nearly 50 percent and children of record dropped by a third. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, those numbers are expected to rebound, but um, what do you think? Well, there are two stories here. The first is, yes, the pandemic situation has caused a pretty serious dive in both of those stats. That was not unexpected. But the long-term story, and I do expect those to rebound, especially children of record. Um, The long-term story, though, is that we are seeing fewer converts every year. Well, almost every year. Last year was a bit of an uptick, actually. And we're generally seeing lower fertility rates for Latter-day Saints around the world. And so the children of record stat had already dipped below 100,000 last year. And so losing it, losing a third of that, losing uh, almost 30,000 children of record last year, I think what we will see next year is that there's going to be a nice little surge as people are catching up with some of that record keeping. But then that downward 
trend is probably going to continue unless fertility rates rise significantly. Yeah, I'm looking at a bar chart right now with children of record. And now these are children who were born to parents, I guess, in the church, right? And then they get blessed and be, are put on the rolls, the church membership rolls. Those have been declining pretty, pretty, pretty consistently. Um, and you're saying that has a lot to do with birth rate. Right. It has a whole lot to do with birth yes. rate. Mm -hmm. a, a secondary but probably less prominent reason is that some people will have their children blessed uh, in the church, don't have them baptized later, and some people will increasingly choose not to have their children blessed at all, even if they are members. And that's kind of a trend that we're seeing, particularly in the United States and Europe. Mm -hmm. Well, let's focus just for a second on the missionary work. Um, obviously, missionary work's changed a lot during the pandemic. I mean, there were a lot of missionaries that were reassigned or, or, or released and then sent out and now they're back out and they're doing a lot of their missionary work online. Do, do, do you see lasting changes in how missionary work will be done? Well, I kind of hope not, actually, because, you know, some of the things that have been so successful during the pandemic, like having the conference take place all over the world, have proven less successful for virtual missionary work. You know, it isn't the same. And so what we are seeing now is that converts per missionary um, already had been declining. And now that was cut in half last year. Uh, Virtual missionary work is just not as great at relationship building, which I think is one of the core aspects of missionary work. So I hope that that's going to uh, increase again when we get back to doing things in person. So clearly one statistic that stood out was repeated was the acknowledgement that the majority of members are unmarried, either never wed, divorced or widowed. Did that surprise you? And what do you think about that? So it didn't surprise me at all that that's the case, but it really surprised and delighted me to hear it acknowledged from the pulpit. That was great, you know, to have the church come out and just say, look, here is our situation. And to be completely upfront about that is fantastic. I am not saying that the number of singles is a problem. Okay. Maybe my tone made it sound as, that, as if that's the case, but it is a reality that single adults have a lower activity rate in the church than married adults do. And in the United States, it's probably uh, twice as much inactivity and elsewhere in the world, it might be three to four times as much inactivity of single members compared to married members. So if there is a problem in the eyes of the church, it is how do we get these people to be really involved? And so what is fantastic is that they're taking that seriously. The changes to the handbook, uh, which are opening up some callings for single adults, that's long overdue and treating them as adults first and single people very distant second is also really long overdue. So that's good to see. So apparently, according to Elder Gong, this was true outside the U.S. and Canada since 1992. That's, you know, 30 years. And it, it became true in the U.S. and Canada in just two years ago. Why do you think the church is either attracting or holding on to more singles than marrieds, especially in a faith that talks about marriage all the time? 
Well, I, I would say we don't actually know that the church is holding on to them. Okay. Just because they're on the rolls and their marital status is on the rolls does not actually indicate their level of activity. And from other um, survey instruments, we know that probably their activity rate is not as strong. And I would anticipate that many of the reasons why it's not as strong, you've just put your finger on, which is it's really tough to be told all the time that, you know, your real life is going to start when your spouse shows up and you get married in the temple and you start having children. And you can only kind of hear that so many times before it begins to take a toll, at least for a lot of people, not for everyone. And yet the, the majority are are single. So what does that tell you? That means uh, by your stats, if they're not holding on to them, then maybe many, many more singles than even just the simple majority. We have a tremendous opportunity as a church. You know, if a, a significant portion of inactive members are single members, that should send a message. You know, it is from a sociological perspective, way easier to keep the people that you've had born into the faith or who have already converted into the faith than it is to go out and find brand new people, to find brand new converts. And so this is a good allocation of resources in terms of what is available for singles to do in the church and possible missionary work among singles who may have become inactive in the church. And from a survey that went out uh, earlier in March that I, I wrote about in Religion News Service, it was really interesting to see some of the questions that the church is asking of single members and all of the many options that are on the table, apparently, for thinking about what kind, what do we want to do with YSA wards? Do we even want to have YSA wards? And if we do, uh, do we want to give people the choice of what kind of ward they would want to attend, et cetera, et cetera? So it's good to see that a lot of options are being discussed. One of those was even should general conference be shortened, right? That had me cheering. You know, <laughs> all weekend is a lot. That's a lot. After a 25 hour weekend of ruler, I, I agree with that one, but <laughs> that's strictly from a selfish standpoint. I'm also writing about it. It's it's a particularly long weekend. Yeah. So um you wrote a column, another column this week that can be found at sltrib.com as well, about Dallin Oaks talk about the US Constitution. Um uh, and your column was interesting. You talked about audiences that you thought Oaks was addressing or could have been addressing. Could you could you talk a little bit about that? Right. I, I would like to kind of counter the the narrative that's coming from both the extreme right and the extreme left, which is Elder Oaks was smacking down the other side. Right. Um, because what I was trying to do in that column was to parse out individual things that he was saying and then try to imagine what is the audience, what is the context, particularly that that particular remark might be speaking to. And for example, when he talks about how it's not a good idea to have mobs trying to take over the government, that part seemed pretty clear, you know, that that uh, that is a reference to far right people taking over the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. But he also talked about um, how in terms of the Constitution, that it was a bit too much reach for the federal government to um, 
have laws about the family. And, you know, I think that was kind of a coded reference to same-sex marriage and the fact that that's the law of the land in every state now, rather than leaving that question up to the states. So that was not something that many liberals would have wanted to hear from him either. What about when he talked about, look, the Constitution, although uh, members are taught that it's divinely inspired, it's not perfect and certainly is open to a, a amendment. Um, and he pointed to, obviously, things that got rid of slavery conditions and obviously giving women the right to vote. Uh, what did you think of that? Well, it was good to hear that because... He- Actually, I was texting with a friend who is an attorney at the time, um, and she was kind of wondering about his take on the Constitution, because if you are an originalist about the Constitution, you're going to think that it is already perfect, right? And he's saying that it isn't already perfect because it left out so many people in our democracy or our democratic republic. Um, I'm not an expert in that, so I, I don't feel like I have anything close to the legal expertise to talk about that. But I thought it was very interesting that he went out of his way to say that the amendments that gave African-Americans the right to vote and women the right to vote were divinely inspired. Mm-hmm. What about um, partisan politics as it relates to interactions with members. That was a large part of his talk also, Um, uh, specifically about judging people by the candidate or the party that they either chose to support or are loyal to. Well, it was hard for me not to feel validated from that. You know, I uh, remember in the 2004 election, I was living in Kentucky and I was the only person in the church parking lot with a John Kerry bumper sticker. And I remember being asked about that by another member of the ward and not in a really super friendly, curious way, but in a how could you possibly kind of way. And so to hear leaders, and I think we could, we could stand to hear this more often, to hear leaders make an unequivocal statement that says we are not to judge each other politically and that members can have different views, members can belong to different political parties, they can support different candidates, uh, especially the context of this coming on the heels of the revelation that the family of, of Elder Uchtdorf had donated to the Biden campaign and to Act Blue you know, that would be exhibit A, that righteous, loving Latter-day Saints can have different points of view and maybe not be Republican. So that was nice to hear. It seemed like he, one more question on this. He seemed like he also was trying to, at least in his view, teach members that it's going to take some sophistication to parse out who you support and a party that, that no candidate is going to be whole hog on every view you have, nor will every party, and that it's going to take choices and prioritization on the member's part. Um, Because it seems like often what you hear in the church is they'll point to one issue. And if you're not on that right side of the fence in their view, then you're out of bounds. what, what, What are your thoughts on that? Oh, that's so important. It's so important. And, you know, it's not just the polarization that we're seeing in the LDS church right now is just not restricted to our religion, it's everywhere. And one of the things I was trying to say in the column is that Gallup has been tracking bipartisan support since the Eisenhower administration. And at that time in the 1950s, you know, he had overwhelming support from Republicans, members of his own party, but he also had half 
the Democrats supporting him too and saying that they approved of the president. And those days are so far gone that during the presidency of Donald Trump on the eve of the 2020 election, basically nine in 10 Republicans thought he was doing a great job and single digits among Democrats. So when you're looking at that kind of polarization, it we could hear again and again from church leaders uh, that it's very important that we listen to each other and that we do so with respect and civility. I, uh, along that line, I also thought to amplify what Dave said, the idea that, look, your party, there might be parts of the platform or the candidate that you don't like. And that sort of goes to the heart of, well, I can't vote for this person because of his or her stand on abortion being the one issue. Um, so for Elder Oaks to say, don't go by one issue. There could be stuff in your own party platform. Anyway, very important topic. Um, did you find it unusual for him to address this topic in, in a global conference? Why do you think he did that? (laughs) Considering that it came right on the heels of that international session and also that it came on Easter Sunday, it did feel, you know, I had that Sesame Street song. One of these things is not like the other. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Because it was definitely the odd talk out. But on the other hand, I think that demonstrates how strongly he felt about that particular message at this particular time. And he just seized the moment. Do you think it's going to have any effect on? No. <laughs> no, I do not. <laughs> but human beings are particularly talented at taking what we want to hear and disregarding the rest and politics even more so. So I'm, you know, I'm pretty discouraged. What I, one of the things I noticed when I was replaying the talk on YouTube the next day was just looking at the YouTube comments right below the talk. It was so clear that people were, were speaking past each other and not any of this as, as applying to them. It only applies to my political enemies, not to me in your face. Yeah. Yeah. So shifting gears now, two women spoke. Um, one woman uh, prayed uh, the very closing prayer, as a matter of fact, uh, um, a lot of women, you know, there's never a lot of women who speak, but this was a particularly low number. Um, uh, what message did that send? And did it surprise you that it was only two? I am sad to say that it didn't surprise me at all. That's kind of uh, where we are now. And it's, I have beaten this horse so many times. Um, It is really depressing to see women so profoundly underrepresented in general conference. It's depressing any which way from Sunday. And I, you know, it absolutely makes me feel like our voices are not as important. And actually what makes it worse is when male church leaders go on to tell us how much they love us and how important our voices are like, really? Well, show me the money, you know, show me that you are serious about that by actually letting women speak because we have important things to say. You know, I think it was Sharon Eubank who gave the closing prayer in one of the sessions. And I was just thinking, We should have her speak every time. I think she's great. I could listen to her speak all day long and not 
not be bored, you know, which frankly I am often in general conference. And apparently that's not that unusual given some of our viewing record uh, and statistics for younger viewers, younger people. So it's good to shake it up. So Apostle Neil Anderson mentioned abortion specifically and spoke out against it. And it's, it's our, our perspective as observers that abortion has not really been a topic at a recent general conference, at least that we could remember. What, what do you think is up with that? I don't know. Um, certainly the church's position on abortion has not changed. And I'm not aware of abortion being in the news in a particular way that would make it timely to address right now. But I have a, a fairly uh, myopic U.S. focus because I cover the U.S. for religion news service with Mormonism, and I also deal with that in my own research. So perhaps he's aware of something going on internationally that I'm just not aware of. I think that what rubbed some people the wrong way about this talk is that he seemed to be placing the responsibility for abortion on women and without looking at some of the larger social inequities that tend to drive abortion and also the fact that it takes two to tango and that men are very much involved in the process of getting a baby. And also seem to celebrate big families and adoption. Just haven't heard the big families in a while. Well, perhaps they're looking at the fertility trend lines we were referencing earlier. (laughs) (laughs) It would be great if we had some more kids around here. Also, Gary Stevenson, spoke about cyberbullying, racism, and recent racist attacks on Blacks, Asians, and Latinos. Are you pleased? It seems like he, it, it seems a little bit like a trend of talking about these things at conference. What do you think? Yes, there's definitely been more of an emphasis in general conference over the last two or three years on uh, overcoming racism, which is not something that Latter-day Saint leaders talked much about. We're not hearing that kind of colorblind approach anymore where, oh, everyone is the same and God loves everyone and kumbaya. You know, I think that they are acknowledging absolutely there are real problems with racism and that there are problems with it in the church. It's not just something we can say happens out there in the world, but it is something that Latter-day Saints participate in and even perpetuate. And therefore, it is absolutely important that we address it in conference. It seems like a trend, a a little trend. (laughs) A micro trend. Not, not a big trend, but a little change. <laughs> what about what about present present now? What what address stuck out to you, or, or you see uh, worth commenting on uh, that President Nelson gave? Yeah. So on Sunday, when President Nelson spoke, I think that he was emphasizing classic elements of what it means to have an active religious faith. And what I heard from it was very positive. What I heard from it was um, people need to put in effort if they want to sustain religious faith and that that can happen through religious practice, that can happen through um, really studying our belief. Of course, it can happen through prayer. But in monitoring how that top talk was received by some people, I began to notice things that I hadn't noticed the first time I heard it. and. 
for people who are experiencing doubt right now, there, there was a real pushback with this idea that you should not be taking your doubts to speak about them with other doubters. And I think, you know, if I can give President Nelson the benefit of the doubt here and imagine what I think he was trying to say is that you want to be taking your doubts to people who are going to help you overcome them because his perspective is that that's something that you want to work through in order to get to a position of faith. But for people who are experiencing doubt right now, I think what it sounded like was really don't talk about these (laughs) at all if you can avoid that. Uh, And maybe that's not very helpful. I'm actually working on a column right now that deals with this talk. And I think that the church is asking people who doubt to magically know how to have a nuanced faith when the church has not necessarily modeled that. And part of the way that you have a nuanced faith, like when President Uchtdorf says, doubt your doubts, is that you have to have practiced that all along by doubting your beliefs. You all along have had to have the position of humility that says, you know, I really believe that whatever it is, but I could be wrong about that. And so that when you get to the point of doubt, you can say, you know, I'm really doubting this right now, but I could be wrong about that. Mm -hmm. I guess he also said people that have doubts are called them kind of lazy learners. And, and that's been a phrase that seems to, you know, anger some people Mm. who, who don't see themselves as lazy learners at all. And the study has been part of the reason why they have had doubts. Yeah, there are some people who have doubled down on trying to understand every aspect of the gospel. And so to, you know, and then they did that because they had doubts. And so to regard that as laziness is not going to be well received. You know, I think what would be a a more helpful approach from their perspective would be to say, wow, I really understand that you have given this due diligence what are you finding? You know, how can we listen to the questions that you have rather than don't have those questions or don't talk about those questions? You know, we're past that now. I don't know that you can answer this. Uh, I, I know you know answers, but your, 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 your next Mormons research that you found on some of these subjects, did you see conference addressing some of the things that were topics that came up in your interviews and your research? Certainly the themes I mean, I don't think that it was directly caused by our research, but probably the church which conducts its own research is finding the same things that we found, you know, um, and that's that's encouraging. It's encouraging to see. So some of those are dealing with singles. And we talked about that already, but also issues of how how relevant is church in people's lives? You know, we talked about that survey that went out to 18 to 35 year old members. And this is one of the main issues with religion in the United States as it pertains to young adults, because it's not that they're anti-religion. They're not hostile to religion for the most part. They just don't really understand how it relates to their daily lives. So it becomes compartmentalized, it becomes privatized, and it becomes less important. 
Uh, not judging was a, a thing that emerged in your survey too. Now, Elder Oaks, President Oaks talks about that. Of course, it was in a political context and partisan politics, but the whole judging kind of a thing is a, is something that has turned off some people in the church, right? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, let's talk about what was not discussed in general mm-hmm. context, just along those lines. There wasn't really uh, anti-LGBT rhetoric that was very, very muted compared to past years. So that's some progress, I would say. There was very little about women have to be X, Y, or Z, which was good to see. I would prefer that we just stop referring to women as a catch-all category (laughs) at all um, and give individual women more jobs to do in general conference, more more visibility. Um, But still, it's progress over where we were several years ago. So President Nelson announced 20 more temples. Five nations are getting their first ones, and Utah is getting its 26th. Um, That makes 69 that he's announced in his three years. Uh, That's a lot. Um, And right now, temples, of course, aren't none of them is operating at full capacity right now because of the pandemic. Uh, What are your thoughts about this real temple building push? Okay, first, I just have to call out that you are the only person I've heard in recent memory to say the correct format of none taking a singular verb. (laughs) One of the temples is open, is correct. So ding, 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 David, you are clearly an editor, and I love that. Yay. Okay, but back to the question. That doesn't surprise Peggy at all, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was delighted. You delighted my editorial heart. But as as for the larger question about temples, it's very interesting to me. 20 temples is a lot right now. And I was following a thread on a Facebook group that I'm part of in which someone who had been a missionary to Norway noted that when he had been a missionary to Norway 25 years ago, there were 4,500 members in all of Norway. And today there are 4,500 members in all of Norway. It essentially, and I haven't checked those figures. So, you know, we, we would want to uh, double check that, but there's been zero growth. And what's more, this is going to be one temple for a, a country where you can't really access, uh, it's a huge country and with, you know, far, far reaching people have to fly to get to places. And he said that even on on their mission, they actually flew to different places within their mission. So that was kind of fascinating. My point is that it doesn't make a lot of sense to have a temple in Oslo. It doesn't really make a lot of sense that we would need a temple in Vienna either. That was another surprise. Brussels, um, it makes actually more sense to have the 26th temple in Utah. I know that that's uh, ridiculous, but just in terms of members per temple, that makes more sense. Yeah. I was surprised to see three pop up in Europe where we know that the growth has, has stagnated or at least, you know, struggled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it's possible that it, it is intended to be symbolic. It's possible that it is done with the, if we build it, they will come kind of hopeful mentality that the, the temple itself will become a beacon for missionary work. Possibly that would happen. Mm-hmm. So any other thoughts about this conference on what you'd like to see at the next one in six months? Well, more women would be great. Uh, More representation internationally was fantastic. We could do even more of that. 
I don't know that we really have a reason other than precedent that we have to hear from every member of the Quorum of the Twelve at every conference. So is it possible that we could take that slot and open it up to members of the church around the world so that we can learn from each other? I think that would be great. Mm -hmm. Well, Jana Reese, thanks again for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Be well, stay safe. You too. And thanks to Peggy Fletcher Stack. Always a pleasure. And to our producer, Chris Samuels. We remind our listeners that they can keep up on all the happenings in and about the church by subscribing to our free weekly newsletter. Just go to sltrib.com to sign up and we'll talk again next time on Mormon Land. Mormon Land.